Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. All right. Let's go to Luke chapter 17, my friends. We've been in this study on the doctrine of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness uh, has its challenges, doesn't it? Uh, when somebody has wronged us, it's often our response, if we're not careful, to want to wrong them back. I was reminded, as I was thinking about this week, there's a guy named Randy Pausch. I don't know if you've ever heard of Randy Pausch, uh, but he had a book that became a popular uh, bestseller called The Last Lecture. Maybe now you know who Randy Pausch is, for those of you that have read it. Well, Randy Pausch was diagnosed uh, with cancer. He knew that he wasn't going to have a long time to live which was particularly difficult because he had a wife and he had several small children. Now, he was a professor at Carnegie Mellon University. And one of the traditions at Carnegie Mellon University is that when you have a professor that is retiring, they give a last lecture. Well, Randy wasn't retiring, he was dying. And so, he was afforded the opportunity, given the circumstances, to give a last lecture. There were a number of things that he wanted to talk about, but he did it. The thing was, is when he got to the end of the lecture, he told the group that was there watching him, he said, you know, one of the things that was a bit of a sleight of hand here is that you thought that I was here talking to you, and I really wasn't. I was here talking to my family. Because what he wanted to do was he wanted to impart some wisdom for them because he wasn't going to be physically around to do it. He wanted to talk about his faith with his family. He didn't so much address that in the last lecture as he did with then. And he was thinking about the kinds of things that he wanted to leave for his children, not just in terms of his legacy, but in the people that he wanted to see them become because he wasn't gonna be there to see them become it. And one of the things that he said to them was, you are going to make mistakes, but how you respond to the mistakes that you make makes all the difference. And when you think about the basics of an apology, it's relatively simple. I'm sorry, what I did was wrong, what can I do to make it right? And that's the end of the sermon, you can go home. I'm kidding. There's a lot of wisdom in what he said, isn't there? When it comes to the root of forgiveness, it's what I did was wrong, will you forgive me? because you recognize that forgiveness is something that is given. They give it to you. And then it's, what can I do to make it right? It's the last part that we're actually gonna be focusing on today. Because while over the last several weeks we've been talking about forgiveness, today we're gonna be talking about reconciliation, which is different than forgiveness. You know, we're trying to move away from the to err is human and to forgive is out of the question so that we can actually look a little bit more like Jesus in the way that we respond to people because you forgive because somebody has done something to you. But have you ever thought about what you do when you've done something to somebody else? We're gonna talk about that today. So there, there are layers to this discussion. A lot of you have been wronged. You've forgiven people that have done wrong things to you. And, wait for it, they didn't care about your forgiveness. Have you ever had that before? They wronged you, you forgave them, and frankly, they didn't care for you to forgive them. That's an interesting situation to be in. I was reminded of two verses in Romans. In Romans 12, 18, it says, insofar as it is up to you, be at peace with everyone. 
Couple of things that you have to note here. Insofar as it is up to you. However, not everything is up to you. You know what isn't up to you? The way that they're gonna respond. You have literally no control over that. However, if you look at Romans 12, 21, it says, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. That part is up to you. So what this means is, is somebody might actually be dishing out a pretty good helping of evil to you. How do you respond? Not repaying evil with evil, but instead giving good in return. I mean, at some point, the cycle of evil has to be broken, not perpetuated. Russell Crowe was in one of the greatest movies of all time. I don't care who you are. How many of you have seen Gladiator? Can I see those hands out there? He gives this great speech in it. Some of you probably, for those of you that have seen it, you probably know that I'm going to. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander. He's so good. Commander of the armies of the north, general of the Felix legions and servant to the true emperor Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance, either in this life or the next. And then you get your popcorn out because you know what? It's going to get good, right? And he did it because he finally, he faces Commodus in the arena, Commodus the emperor, and he kills him. And at the end of the, it's been out a while. If you haven't seen it, that's on you. And he kills him. And so you have the emperor dead on the ground. By the way, he died too. Oh my gosh. And they carry him out on their shoulders and they leave the emperor in the dirt. It was an amazing ending of a movie. It's a movie though. See what I'm saying? What we don't want to say is that, you know, I've practiced Maximus's speech and for anybody that does wrong to me, it's what's coming on you. It's good for the movies because it's entertaining. It just isn't good for life, but go see the movie. See, here's the thing. We, we can't control how people respond. You know that. Even when we are forgiving them for the wrong that they have done, forgiveness requires one person. It is your choice. Forgiveness requires one person. And that response from a person that, frankly, they don't care that you have forgiven them. Have you ever wondered where that might come from? I mean, it might, for example, it might come out of pride. They might even not want to admit that they've done something wrong. You might not want to admit that you've done something wrong. It could be coming from pride. Or it could be something like this. Uh, you might have wronged them, and then they decided to wrong you back because you wronged them, and the wrong that you did was the reason that they gave for why they treated you the way that they did. Have you ever had that happen before? I remind you very quickly of James chapter one, verse 14, where it says your trials and tribulations are no excuse for your sin. It's no excuse. But we have this reason and we get, you know, had you not done this, I wouldn't have done this. So it's all on you. By the way, when that happens to you, how many of you actually feel like, yeah, that seemed like a sincere apology to me. Yeah, that probably didn't go over well. Instead, you're looking for something else. You're looking for somebody to sincerely and deeply recognize that what they did was wrong. And that's it. And in fact, that that's all they had to say. So today, we're looking at a little bit of a different question than forgiveness. It's how do we reconcile with people that we have hurt? You're the one that did it. They were on the receiving end. I remind you, forgiveness is what we do to address the past. Reconciliation is a choice that we make on how we're going to go today and forward. 
There is a difference. Forgiveness takes one, reconciliation is at least gonna take two. It just depends on how many people were hurt by what you did. So let's look at what Jesus says in Luke 17, verses one through four. It says, he said to his disciples, offenses will certainly come, and boy was he right, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than for him to cause one of these little ones, stop for just a second, because I even put a little note in there, little ones just means a follower of Jesus. That's what it means. You don't need to be thinking, oh, we're just talking about children here. No, we're talking about people here. It would be better if you had a weight tied around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than what you did was to bring harm to a follower of Christ. You don't want to cause them to stumble. He says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must what? Forgive. In other words, this is just the natural flow of what comes out of you is forgiveness. And the reason is, as we pointed out, it's basic fairness. We've all needed to be forgiven. And we have this modeled from Jesus that forgiveness is what's on tap from him. So as we forgive, that means that we are literally walking the life that Jesus walked before us and for us. Now, one proof that the expectation that we forgive does not mean that you become a doormat for everybody around you is that Jesus says that you are to rebuke someone when they wrong you. He said that in verse three. You can call people out. And in fact, you need to call people out. If you continue to just let things go and you have a person that is perpetuating sin against you, then basically what you're doing is leaving the door for sin in their life to be perpetuated against you. Jesus is saying you have every right to look at a person and say, you're never supposed to talk to me like that again. You're never supposed to do this again. Because, and we're talking about, and Jesus is talking about an actual sin in their life not something that mildly annoyed you, <laughs> right? An actual sin in their life. Verse three, he says, call them out. That's difficult, isn't it? It's not fun. I mean, imagine having to call out a spouse in a marriage. You're supposed to, to do it with gentleness and truth so that the sin cycle can get addressed and done. That's why you offer the rebuke. So it might be a wife to a husband, that's difficult. It might be a husband to a wife, that's difficult. It might be you to a friend, I don't know. But what Jesus is saying is, we at least call it out. And when we do, you at least in that moment have an opportunity for the wrong that is there to get addressed and you can move on from it. Rather than become passive aggressive, one goes one way, one goes the other way, you find yourself sitting at the coffee shop with your friends talking about the other person. That doesn't get you anywhere and it gets you nowhere fast because what you're doing is not addressing the situation. Instead, you're making it worse. You've now actually invited other people in to take your side against this person. Welcome, we have a bigger problem. What Jesus is saying is to the one that has wronged you, offer a correction to them. If there's real sin that is there, now, I'm gonna give you a warning here. People don't like this. I know that you're stunned when I say that. When you say, hey, what you did there, that was wrong. That was wrong. People don't like it. But to quote Dumbledore in Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, 
People find it far easier to forgive others for being wrong than being right. And here's what he means. Means that when you are calling somebody out for what they did, often there is something inside of them that bucks up against you because you're right. And they just got called out for it. See, that's a moment where we have an opportunity to respond in a couple of ways. One of the ways is to retaliate. That's not the best. Or the other is to respond in humility. And if what they said is actually true, to receive it. It's to receive it. Or you can quote me. Especially, they're not going to be happy with you when you being right means that they're wrong. It's just true. I love what Daryl Bach, he's a New Testament scholar, and on this passage in Luke 17, he said, it's a sign of spiritual maturity when you can receive correction. And it's a sign of spiritual maturity when you can correct rather than just walk the other way. It's both. That would be the ideal. You know that there's going to be a spirit that is receptive to correction when something has really gone wrong. And it means that you're actually following what has been modeled in Jesus in Luke 17, 3, when you're willing to step in and offer the correction so that your relationship can be made right. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. So even when God forgives our sins, he doesn't promise to remove all the consequences of our sin. And this is why reconciliation is just different from forgiveness. Reconciliation is usually a little bit of a process. There's a process where something that was broken between the two of you or the three of you or the four of you or how many of you were doing it gets restored over time. So I wanna give you some things to think about this morning. What are some signs of genuine repentance from a person so that there can be restoration and reconciliation between the two of you? Steve Cornell offered some things that I thought were really good. And for those of you that still have your phones out, feel free to take a picture of it so that you'll have it for good use later on. Here's what he says. This is when you know that a person is genuinely repentant for what they did. And by the way, just remember, repentant means that they are walking a different way than the way that they have walked before. They've literally changed the way they walk, the way that they live. Here's what he says. One is that you see that the person accepts full responsibility for his or her actions. You see it. So instead of, instead of well, since you think I've done something wrong, or, well, if I've done something to offend you, that's not it. They actually see and accept the responsibility of the choices that they have made. That's a good indication that the person is genuinely repentant for what they've done. Here's a second. They're willing to accept accountability from somebody else. They invite it in. Uh, notice that we all need a mentor in our life. I would not be where I am without having some men that were in my life at a very formative time in my life. You know, when I was later in high school and I started to actually take my faith seriously again, I remember meeting with a group of adult men at a fire station at 5.30 in the morning. I was the only teenager that was there, and the reason that I was there is because I needed those men around me. I wasn't a man. I was not a man. I needed men around me. Thankfully, I had a great example in my father, and thankfully, I had great examples in those guys that as we got together, the first thing that we did is there was a series of questions that we asked each other, and we went around the table, and we answered them honestly and openly because we needed the accountability. We needed the accountability, and we needed what was holding us back from a, a full embodied life with Jesus. We needed that to be broken and gone. One of the signs that a person is genuinely repentant is that you see that they welcome that accountability to other people. Here's a third. They do not continue in the hurtful behavior or anything associated with it. 
you show that your apology was genuine by not repeating what you did. See, repentance is the action that proves that your words were true. I'm sorry, but I really wasn't because I'm gonna go do it again. Repentance is the action that proves that your words were true. And when you see the different life, you have good reason for thinking the repentance is real. Second, or fourth, fourth. They don't have a defensive attitude about being in the wrong. The reason is, is because they've already accepted that what they did was wrong. They're not gonna be defensive about it. Fifth, they don't dismiss or downplay the fact that they hurt you. See, we feel and we process the pain that we've caused and we do it with them. It cultivates compassion for the person that we've wronged. I was, some years ago, I was reading a book and it had, to, it had to deal with when there has been infidelity in a marriage. At that point, the counselor, I think, had worked with couples for 35 years and one of the things that he said, he said, I knew that a marriage had a chance of making it, even after infidelity, when I saw that the person that had actually caused the harm to the other spouse was genuinely broken over it. And they didn't want to hurt them again because they loved them. He said, that was when I knew that they had a chance. That was it. It's a similar kind of thing. You don't downplay the hurtful behavior. Instead, you see a genuine compassion because of the hurt that you brought. Number six, they don't resent any doubts about their sincerity or need to demonstrate sincerity, especially when you're talking about a person that is a multiple offender. You know, they've gossiped about you before, they're gossiping about you a second time, now they're at their 47th time gossiping about you, your, the flow of your life is to forgive them as Jesus has forgiven you, but it is perfectly fine to say, I don't know that I can actually trust you with my character and my integrity. Jesus isn't asking you to not be aware of that because this process is one that is walked. It's not just something that you desire. It's something that you have to do. And also, for the offending person is that they'll make restitution when restitution is what is necessary. Let me give you an example, and I love from Jerry Brashears. He said, if you steal money, it's not enough to say, hey, I'm sorry. So let's imagine for a second that you, know, you left your money out, and I happened to be walking by, and I just went, boop, and I grab it as I walk by. I grabbed your $50 bill. A little later on, I'm like, you know what, I'm kind of feeling bad about you know, the, taking your $50 bill, and so I'm gonna go and talk to you and say, you know what, I'm the one that took your money, and I'm sorry for what I did. And then I turn and I walk off. There's one thing that is lacking there. I still owe you a $50 bill, right? You make restitution where necessary. Let me give you another example. Let's imagine for a second that you have been busy chicken frying somebody else's character. You've just been carving them up when they're not around. Your words about them have been unkind and they have been vicious. It was the coffee shop moment that we were talking about just a little bit ago. It is actually not enough, according to Jesus, for you just to go to the person and say, I've been gossiping about you and I'm asking your forgiveness. With, by the way, with the hope and the expectation that if they're really following Jesus, they'll forgive you, right? We're assuming that right now. But instead, in making restitution with this person, you go to the people that you were talking with so that you can make it right. For every person that you were sitting down with and you were talking wrongly about somebody's character, ripping them apart, restitution looks like that. 
we got together at the coffee shop the other day, and this is what I said that they did, and they didn't do that, and that was wrong of me. Because you walked out here believing that they did something that they did not do, and as a result of the words that I chose to speak against them, you were looking down on them, and everything that I said wasn't true. And I'm asking for you to forgive me too. See, this is what restitution actually looks like. It goes well beyond just the will you forgive me. That's you between you and the person. But you also have to think, who else did I invite into the mess? And we need to get about the business of making this right. That's what actual reconciliation looks like. And at the end, when you see a person that is literally walking this way, you have every measure of confidence to know that the Holy Spirit has arrested their heart, that they are genuinely repentant about the things that they have done to you or you have done to them if you're the one trying to do, uh, trying to do restoration and reconciliation. And in the end, this is exactly what happens. When people see this and they see that it's real, this is at least my experience, that's what they were looking for to begin with, that you get it and you don't wanna do it anymore. You're gonna walk a different way. Forgiveness and reconciliation, they go hand in hand. The whole journey begins with forgiveness. As you've probably figured out at this point, reconciliation is just a little bit of a process, isn't it? But what you find is, is when you walk the process, waiting at the end of it is something that is beautiful. It's called restoration. All right, so I'm gonna give you just a moment because I do it every week because I think it's important. But today I wanna do something a little bit different with it. Is there someone that you need to forgive that has wronged you and have you forgiven them? Second, is there someone that you have wronged that you need to reconcile with? I'm, I'm leaving this with you today because we always spend time as a church because you're, you're not distracted in here, I hope. You, you put the world aside. You can put it down. You're in this place and you have a chance to talk with the Lord and you can be honest with him. Maybe there is somebody that you're having a hard time forgiving because the breach and the break of trust was just so deep. I want you to be honest with the Lord about that. Honest with your struggle to forgive and plead with him that he would give you a heart of forgiveness like he's had for you. You call out for that help. Or maybe today is the day where you just kind of have to, you know, the humble pie, and say, today is the day that I'm making the choice to make something right that I made wrong. It will start with forgiveness, but I can understand why somebody would be a little bit suspicious of me. I haven't been trustworthy. It always begins there. The question isn't, what do we do? We know, it's just, are we gonna do it and follow Jesus' example? Maybe you've come here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. One of the things I'm encouraging you to do, we have staff and ministers that are at the back. The most important decision that you will ever make in your life is what you do with Jesus Christ. Because here's what we believe. We believe that all of us, myself included, we are sinners and what sin requires is forgiveness. It's what it requires. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. It is something that he gives to you freely out of his love for you because the thing that Jesus wants the most is that what was broken gets put back together. And the beautiful part of this is, and he tells us this, his grace is enough. That's all that it takes is to receive what he's been offering to you. And that's a story of forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. 
We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.